Hello, everyone. This is Eric Pennington with The Spirit of EQ, and welcome to The Spirit of EQ podcast. Today's episode, we have a very special guest, Kevin Saunders, who will be talking to us about things relating to race and the current train here in the United States, as well as some things that he's working on to address that, as well as some things that are inspiring our youth around that and more, and emotional intelligence. Life is a journey. Spirit of EQ helps shape and guide the road ahead for individuals, leaders, teams, and organizations striving to realize their full potential through emotional intelligence. Spirit of EQ is a coaching and consulting company that assists individuals and businesses to reach their full potential by developing emotional intelligence. In business, managers and leaders recognize the value of training to develop leadership skills. What they may not realize is that those skills are far more effective when they pay attention to not only performance, but also to people. Emotional intelligence is a crucial skill because people drive performance and emotions drive people. Joining me today as always, my co-host, Jeff East with The Spirit of EQ. Hi Jeff, how are you? Hi, Eric. Hi, Kevin, and everyone listening. So, Kevin, welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast. We're so glad that you are here. Yes, yeah. Thank you very much for having me. Excited to talk with you both and uh, get a little experience uh, of the Spirit of EQ. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So, um, Kevin, before we get into some of the subjects that we've talked about offline, could you maybe tell our audience a little bit about you and your background and uh, some of the things that uh, relate to that? Yeah, sure. Uh, so they know my name. I'm Kevin Saunders. Uh, I work with a Deloitte, uh, one of the big four accounting firms in the United States uh, at Deloitte. My current role is as a financial planner. So I help uh, the partners, principals, and managing directors across the country uh, achieve their financial goals, whatever that may be. Uh, aside from my work with Deloitte, I have uh, my own entity, KS4 Inspiration, uh, through which I seek to provide inspiration and education to the next generation, uh, specifically looking at uh, youth age from middle school to high school to college. I've been doing that for a few years, just going to different schools, doing uh, specialty one-off programs, uh, doing my best to inspire uh, students typically to pursue noble goals as your audience uh, may be familiar with that uh, no true gift competency and aside from working with this population uh, I could say I practice EQ in my everyday life uh, at home uh, in the midst of this pandemic uh, with my beautiful wife and uh, two young boys Isaiah age 10 and Noah uh, age 6 so that's me, that's Kevin Saunders. All right. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that too, because uh, everyone in our audience, I would venture to say, is uh, is um, navigating uh, some very uh, volatile water with uh, the pandemic and all. But uh, our optimism is shining through, and yours especially too, Kevin. So how I came about to meet you was around a poem. And um, you probably didn't realize this, Kevin, but you are surrounded by artists, as in Jeff and myself. We both uh, uh, have t- 
touch points into that. So um, we are in your tribe, if I can say. Nice. <laughs> and um, from that perspective, could you tell our audience a little bit about, you know, why I would even say, hey, I got to know or I got to meet Kevin through a poem. Could you tell me what does that have to do with, um, and I want to touch on the issues around race relations here in the United States, but maybe how a poem could uh, be a catalyst for some positive change. <laughs> uh, so you both being musicians, um, as a musician, part of what you do is for the audience listening, but listening, but a lot of it really is for you. Right. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> right. As yeah. Say, you know, this, this poem that I developed, um, it was a response to what I was feeling. Uh, I'm sure most are aware, uh, of the, the horrific scene of, uh, George Floyd being pinned down for more than eight yeah. minutes, uh, by police officers. Um, and witnessing that type of trauma has a unique effect um, on someone uh, like myself. Uh, I consider myself a black person, uh, knowing that race itself is a social construct, a different conversation for another day. Uh, but being a black person uh, and witnessing that as just one of the more recent episodes uh, of brutality against us um, was uniquely traumatizing. And in response to that, in response to me feeling hopeless that things could change, um, in response to uh, my wife feeling fearful of me even going for a jog, uh, knowing what happened to Ahmad Aubrey, um, you know, in response to innocent uh, people being gunned down in their own home, in their own bed, um, as was Breonna Taylor. All these things combined to put me in a state where I couldn't just sit down and let the moment pass. Um, I had to actually speak to my pastor. Uh, my former pastor, actually, another black man who's had some incredible experiences around race and I was struggling to that point. We had to speak and he told me, Kevin, it's never hopeless. You have a gift with this poetry, use it. And basically right after that conversation, the next couple of days, I just started pulling these thoughts together, right? Wanted to one, just explain mm -hmm. sort of the history of the racial anguish that uh, we're experiencing today. And then two, wanted to make it, make it personable Right, and not just apply my experience, but the experience of so many other individuals as well. And then three, wanted to call people who are sitting on the sidelines, people of conscience who feel like this fight isn't my fight. I'm not black, right? But they can feel that something is wrong and something needs to be done. Calling on those individuals to get involved and become new age allies. So. I wrote that poem with all of that in mind. Uh, and in doing so, that hopelessness that I had felt uh, started to dissipate. And I came back to my, what is typically my optimistic nature, right? When you take actions like this, 
you you take action because you believe something will come of it, right? So naturally being optimistic, taking the action just actually furthered my optimism as well. So that's how I developed the poem. That's what was uh, the impetus for me writing it. Uh, and I'm happy to, to share it uh, with you as I did uh, prior to this invite and with so many others um, over time. Yeah. And here's the, here's the thing. And, I, and I'm going to touch on some of the, the ways that it has uh, sort of inspired Deloitte. But I want to go back to something that you mentioned there about your pastor and uh, uh, when you went to him and the advice he gave you and whether he was a pastor or if he was a rabbi or just a college friend or a, or a parent or whatever, those are some really powerful moments when someone can dispense just a few sentences. Oh I was less than a few sentences uh, that inspired you to, to kind of make a turn, right? Uh, yeah. And maybe in your case, it was a turn back to optimism and, and belief that things can get better. But I just think, man, what powerful advice. Um, what, uh, when he gave you that, that, that simple advice, Kevin, um, what were some of the things that ran through you as, as, as you process what he said to you? I felt empowered by what he said. Uh, and I can't even say it was just what he said. It was the authority okay. with which he said it. <laughs> he, he, ah. he didn't half step. He didn't say, maybe you should try this. He said, you need to use the gift you were given and make a difference. Mm. And he just connected me to something I always knew and always felt, which is, you know, I'm called here to make a positive impact on my community, period. I've felt that since I was in high school. Um, I've had that understanding of, of what my role is. And him just sort of hitting me in that moment, in a moment where it seemed I had forgotten it, right? You're feeling hopeless. Yeah. And that feels like there's nothing you can do. Um, to me, it, the, the power with which he spoke the words and told me to go use this this gift is what lifted me up. So I'm going to pivot a little bit and talk about how did Deloitte become aware of the poem and what's that process been where they kind of wanted to do more than just know about it. After I wrote the poem and then, you know, filmed it, uh, I was then being patient. I realized, you know, I, I had a tendency to just want to get the work I've done out there to just finish. Um, but I really mm -hmm. felt this poem could be impactful and I wanted it to reach its intended audience. And, you know, uh, as a, as a black artist and the poem is about uh, typically a, a black issue uh, for the most part, or at least some would think it's a black issue, but the issue of racism isn't really a black issue, right? This is a national issue and it actually, uh, goes across all different lines beyond race. Uh, but I wanted to get it to an audience um, that wasn't predominantly black. Ultimately, um, I had the idea to share it with Deloitte. And how I did that uh, was to just boldly send an email to the chief diversity officer 
of the of the firm. Uh, I had the opportunity to hear her speak uh, a few months, uh, well, actually at the end of 2019, and we hadn't officially met. Um, and I wondered if she would be receptive to the poem. Um, and I was delighted that she, in fact, uh, thought the poem was powerful and worth sharing uh, within the firm. So she passed it yeah. on to another couple of individuals uh, in the firm. And lo and behold, what is about to happen is uh, the firm will be profiling myself along with other um, black employees and they will be sharing uh, the poem across the firm uh, in hopes of furthering understanding of this racial justice initiative that's taking place that Deloitte is uh, very involved with at the moment. That's, uh, that's really great, Kevin. And, um, and just for those of you in the audience who are listening today, we will make sure uh, we'll get any connections that uh, Kevin has to his material, be it the poem or otherwise uh, in the show notes. So not to worry. So you'll have an opportunity to, to definitely check uh, what he's doing out. Uh, one of the things um, you mentioned there uh, that I think is, uh, is, is, is really powerful. You know, you, 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 you indicated that Deloitte's embraced this and you mentioned to further understanding and in our work at Spirit of EQ, um, our clients hear this a lot. And I mean, we've mentioned it on the podcast, Jeff and I, about the power of curiosity and its, mm-hmm. and its power to, to, to further understanding. And one of the things, Kevin, that I, I, I use as part of the work that we do is you should exhaust your curiosity before you go to judgment. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, you're probably going to make a judgment that lacks enough data to be valid, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm, I'm so encouraged to hear that about furthering understanding. Because as we, it doesn't, furthering understanding does not change circumstances. There, there will be bad things that will happen. There will be situations that we don't understand that are going to occur. But I think if we're approaching them from a spirit of understanding, we can at least not lose the hope and we can, we can kind of stay on track about how do we continue to get better and better and better. So my hat's off to Deloitte and obviously to you and, and being a part of that. So Kevin, we uh, met a couple years ago. We spent a week together in New York taking a, a course about emotional intelligence. So I, I you know, mm-hmm. I got to meet That's you face to face and I saw, the passion you had for the kind of things that you were already involved in and then the the work we were doing together in that course, which I think you would agree that was a a pretty intense week. Oh, it definitely was. (laughs) Yeah. uh, And it was very much worth it. Oh, yes, yes, it it was. Uh, You know, Marilyn is a, uh, Jorgensen is a lady that ran it and you can't help but learn from her. So, She's amazing. I love Marilyn. Yes. Just that whole weekend, I was impressed. And it's just, it's not, again, not what she was saying per se, because it's content and content can be delivered, you know, 
however it is delivered, uh, but her style and how she allowed us the space to absorb it and grow to me is that was that was just impressive how she conducted that course. Yes, I, I totally agree, but that kind of leads into the next question. When we're talking about emotional intelligence in our day-to-day life, no, not in the pages of a book or something like that, how do you find is the best way for you to get away from the content of emotional intelligence into the living, you know, dealing with other people? Yeah, to me, it's about um, patience and, and poise um, when you're feeling strong emotion, right? So whether I'm interacting with my spouse, uh, my children, uh, a coworker, or a client, there's circumstances that arise, right? That trigger emotion. You may feel slighted by someone. You may feel neglected by a spouse. You may feel overlooked um, at work. And how I practically apply what I learn is being patient in those moments when I feel emotions high and and low. And I describe some low ones, but you know, on the high end, right? Uh, for instance, my my wife and I were. Uh, considering uh, buying a, uh, a home, right? Um, another home, moving from where we are right now. Um, and as we look at all the different options out there, right, we very quickly and easily get excited, like, oh, I think this is it. This could be the one. Right? And then another uh, you know, email notification pops up, another four-bedroom, three-bedroom home in your desired location. You're like, wow, this looks amazing. I think this could be it. Lo and behold, we're on like our 26th home visit at this point in time. Right? But we learned along the way. You know, the actual application of that is, well, now, you know, uh, take your time, think things through, allow yourself some time to process the emotion. So in practical application for me, if I had to boil EQ down and, you know, tell people, hey, how can you practice this, you know, regularly? Uh, simply put, it is allow yourself to feel the emotions, uh, but then be patient allow emotions to subside before choosing your reaction and making decisions. As, as a, 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 a black man, how has EQ helped you with what's going on in the country today? Well, it's vital, actually. Uh, uh, being a black man, you have a whole range of emotions, um, not unlike any other race or gender on this earth, right? Um, But being a black man in America has its own separate challenges. Uh, Being a black woman in America has its own unique challenges. Um, And you can say so for any race, uh, ethnicity, or gender um, combination out there. I'd say it's vital uh, period across the board. That would be my my answer um, to the extent that one can uh, 
or really get a full understanding of what they're feeling in certain moments and then choose their reaction uh, and choose uh, their, you know, an, an adequate decision. I think that would, uh, that would benefit them. So yes, I think EQ is vital across the board. I don't think it's necessarily unique uh, to black people. I'm going to ask one more question. And you kind of touched on it when you uh, first, you know, uh, talked on this podcast. As as someone that I hope I am emotionally intelligent, but as a a white male, what can I do to help? And I'm going to talk one on one. Someone like you know, some a black male that maybe I see is having things happen that I don't like. What what is the best way for me to help? Not saying that I have all the answers. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Jeff, you and, you know, any other a white person who is out there listening, uh, I don't want anybody out there to feel like, hey, you know, we won't be able to solve this problem without you, right? Like, this isn't a you, you, Jeff. It is really a you as in we collectively um, need to get involved and how we can do this. Right. It really boils down to being a change agent in your circle of influence. Right. We all have relationships. We are connected to different people in different circumstances and different businesses across different families and different neighborhoods. And we encounter all these different types of people. Right. A lot of them, um, you know, some may be aware of what's happening in society. Some may not. Some may be indifferent to what is happening. Uh, some may endorse uh, the racial uh, strife that we're feeling right now in this country. Right? We don't know what side everybody is on. But what you can do specifically uh, is be a, uh, an agent of change uh, amongst those individuals. And specifically, this means using your voice. I think what has been happening is, um, you know, people of conscience have been sitting on the sidelines and not participating um, in the fight for for racial justice in this country Um, because it is easy to overlook if you're not experiencing it. Right? Typically, depending on where you live, maybe you live in a uh, a neighborhood um, where it's diverse, and maybe you don't. Uh, but for those who don't, their interaction with people of different races and backgrounds may be limited. And so it's important that um, when an individual who does uh, have some knowledge and and a heart uh, making an impactful change in the country has the opportunity to do so, uh, that we actually do it. Right? Uh, we speak up, we use our voice. When we hear something that uh, is offensive, you know, it, I'll give you an example of when I was in a, a supermarket um, waiting online and with the coronavirus um, rampaging across the country, everybody is, at least uh, where I am in New York, is taking it pretty seriously as 
you all know New York was hit pretty hard um, with this virus when things just kicked off. Uh, but there's a lot of language being used about it being uh, a China virus. Uh, and then we've seen a number of uh, hate crimes uh, and abuse towards Chinese people, right, who have uh, now suffered the brunt of, of this virus somehow, some way, right? They've been scapegoated in this country by some, not all. Now, the, the thing is, is I was waiting on this line, uh, and an older uh, white lady who just started talking, my son was with me, uh, was just talking about the line and whatnot, and the conversation flips into discussion about China, right? Um, and she says, man, it's crazy how China's got us into this mess. You know, they killed all these people and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm in that moment, I'm like, okay, I feel I need to correct what she is saying. Because, and this isn't a judgment on her, right? Uh, but I really didn't know what was in her heart, what she was saying, right? Was she trying to get across? that China, Chinese people are responsible for this virus or what she tried to convey that the virus originated in China, I didn't know. But I was in a position where I felt something needed to be said. Um, and I chose my words very wisely uh, because I didn't know, right? And I just said to her uh, gently, you know, uh, no matter where the, the virus emanated from, uh, what's important is that we here in the U.S., in our neighborhood, do our part to try to protect each other, right? That's what is important now. Uh, I can tell you, honestly, that I didn't feel that that was an adequate response. I did not feel, you know, as I reflected on it later, that I truly used my voice uh, to change how uh, this woman may go forward speaking about China and uh, Chinese people. Um, but I use that as a real life example because we're confronted with those subtle opportunities each and every day, right? Where we can, you know, make a stand and where we can positively influence um, the conversation. And hopefully by changing the tone of the conversation and imparting a voice that is um, more emblematic of, of love and understanding, uh, that that can become pervasive throughout society. So, um, yeah, that would be my answer. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. That's that powerful. Uh, you know, uh, Jeff, I, it just, and Kevin, it got me thinking um, about this curiosity thing again. You know, and and I, I think your your statement back to her, uh, the lady in the line at the supermarket, um, I think was uh, was on mark. And I think, and and I know it's not easy because I mean, let's face it: when did we all get exposed to emotional intelligence? <laughs> we got exposed to it most people well into our adult years. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, if this was like a required course in school. You know, mm -hmm. 
understand this because I think Kevin that whether it's the woman at the supermarket or the person that's in the cube next to you that said, Hey, you know what? In my mind, they should have just listened to the police. Okay. Well, Mm -hmm. instead of, instead of me saying, see, he's one of those, he's a racist. He might be, Mm -hmm. but wait a minute. Let me Mm -hmm. ask him some questions. So where, where do you get this idea that, uh, he should have just listened to the piece. What does that police, what does that mean? And why do you think he didn't? Or what do you think he could have and unfold and unwrap that? Because yes, you may come to the conclusion, this guy or this person is a racist, but you might find out what if he says something like, I'm just frustrated. I know it's not right. I know we need to do better, but I don't know what else to say. Oh, open door for us, right? Open door for us to have dialogue. Well, you know what we could do, or you know where we could look at. So it started off where I was tempted to maybe say, ah, he's a racist, to maybe it's not about that. And again, I'm going to stress, I know there are times when you're going to encounter them. (laughs) Believe me, I know, right? But the reality of our ability to, to, to uncover more, um, and, and it doesn't require two hour conversations in the middle of work. I don't want to give people the impression. You just got to drop everything and have these long, but my gosh, it seems to me, the more we would do that, the better we would be, you know, the more, I mean, it's just like what you said there about Deloitte. It's just furthering the understanding, furthering yeah. the understanding. Kevin, you mentioned, you, you thought about, you know, maybe you should have said something more, but that goes back to something that Eric and I talk about all the time, and that is practice, you know, that you were practicing, and practicing means you're trying to get better. So, you know, not just with you, but when we're doing this, if we at least try, we'll get better at it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, <laughs> using that term practicing is comfortable for me uh, because, you know, Michael Jordan, I'm sure, is still practicing <laughs> basketball to this day. <laughs> right, he's already decided he accomplished everything that he wanted to accomplish. And so I look at EQ as you'll always be practicing. Uh, as long as you're here and you're living, there's room for you to grow and process what you're feeling better and in turn reach more desirable outcomes in your interactions with others. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So, uh, Kevin, um, you know, you mentioned, uh, your, your role at Deloitte and, uh, I don't want to, um, minimize all the great things that Deloitte is doing. However, I'm really interested in learning more about this other part of your, of your, um, pursuits, um, that are not Deloitte associated as it relates to, uh, the book writing to the, the youth and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about maybe what's most inspiring about that work that you're working on right now? Yeah. And, uh, as I stated, uh, I created KS for inspiration. Uh, and the purpose of it is to provide inspiration and education for the next generation. And I think this is important to me because when I was younger in that middle school, high school range, um, I didn't really give much thought as to what my future would look like. 
right? Um, at that point in time, the only thing that I knew I wanted was a nice home, nice car, nice clothes, right? That was the, as far as I had thought. So when it comes to mm-hmm. how I would actually spend my day, right, what would my work actually be? I didn't really start to think about that until high school. Right? And I went to uh, Lincoln High School in Yonkers, New York. Shout out to Lincoln High School. Uh, they have the Academy yeah. of Finance there. And in the Academy of Finance, they had some accounting courses. I took the accounting courses. I did well with it. I ended up getting a scholarship. Um, I decided to go to Pace University with that scholarship because I thought accounting uh, would bring me some money so I could get the things that I wanted because they told me, hey, accountants make good money. And I said, sure, sign me up. All right. Um, and I didn't give too much thought uh, about my career and where it was headed beyond that. And as I look back now, right, accounting has afforded me basically all the things I've wanted, right? It really has provided. Um, you know, there's a backstory with, with my family and the birth of Isaiah there that, you know, we wouldn't be in as good a situation as we were, if not for accounting and me getting uh, an opportunity at Deloitte. Um, so, yes, there's value in the career that I chose. But as I went through the career and found elements of it um, that I didn't like, specifically uh, being in the tax field, uh, you know, when I look at what I was doing that I was frustrated with doing tax compliance uh, for a major part of my career because whenever I completed tax returns, no one ever jumped for joy because the question was always, why am I paying so much? <laughs> what did you do wrong that I have to pay this much tax? <laughs> so if there wasn't a sense of fulfillment in the role. And I, honestly, I didn't feel that I was helping anyone uh, with the work that I was doing. And so I made a switch. I went to high net worth individual taxation and did financial planning. And that got me into a direct route in my career where now I'm helping an individual make crucial decisions uh, about how they're going to utilize their assets um, to benefit themselves and their family. And now my work on a daily basis has more meaning. Yet and still, uh, there was a calling for me to help my community that I came up with uh, the partners and principals and managing directors of Deloitte, um, typically they would have, uh, you know, they, they're receiving a service uh, from me, uh, but not all of them are from the background uh, that I'm from, right? Grew up in Yonkers, New York, um, you know, uh, black kid, uh, urban environment, et cetera. That's not to say... You know, a lot of that, a lot of Deloitte partners didn't come up in those circumstances, but the community I wanted to affect was the community that I grew up with. And I didn't have that opportunity in my career. And so I had to create this outlet to do so. Uh, And so I said, well, what type of struggle did I encounter or what may help a student um, the most that the school may not be provided? And to me, that is that inspiration and education. It's really 
connecting long-term goals and vision to the actions that the students are going through today in middle school and high school and even in college, right? And trying to get them to understand a lesson that I learned, which is that uh, the pursuit of material possessions itself is not going to bring you uh, the joy and the happiness uh, that you're looking for. You know, Kanye said in one of his songs, uh, people are going to laugh at me for quoting Kanye West with all the mess he's gotten into with it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should say, don't quote Kanye West. Back when I used to listen to Kanye, he had this song. Oh, it's all right. <laughs> we'll cut Kanye some slack today. <laughs> all right, cool, cool. Uh, but Kanye had this this verse uh, from a song. He said, whether you're broke or rich, you got to get this. Having money is not everything. Not having it is. All right, so yeah, career, uh, being able to provide for your family, all that is important. My encouragement to the youth today is to seek for ways in which to do that, that are connected to uh, goals that, that truly help others in society somehow, some way. Essentially, when you look at the, the Pursuing Noble Goals competency, right, it's mm-hmm. about connecting your daily choices with your overarching sense of purpose. But one of the key things in there is that, you know, one, no one is made less, but then also uh, that others can benefit uh, from what you're doing. Right? Uh, so that's yeah. for inspiration. That's why I'm doing it. Well, you know what, uh, Kevin, um, I, you, 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 some beautiful points there. And I, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a, it's resonating around. I remember having a conversation with my son as, uh, he is, uh, he's now an adult, a young adult. And I remember him asking me in high school about, well, you think I should go this way or that way? I mean, as far as like what he was going to study in college and stuff and, um, my wife and I have always had a sort of a unspoken policy that we were never going to push our kids in one direction or the other. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he asked me that and I said, you know, uh, Grant, uh, and, and I got this from a, a an old mentor, uh, you want to find the work that requires Grant to show up. And the only way you can do that. And in his case, is Grant needs to know who Grant is. And the mm-hmm. pursuit of self-knowledge is powerful on two fronts. One, I'm just so uh, so vividly to me now in this time in my life, you can't know God until you know you. And then to know yourself is to position yourself in a way that you're not going to go down roads for 10, 15 years only to find out that's not, that's not me. And, uh, I get like you described, right? We got to pay bills. We got to support family, but I don't think it's one of the, it's not an either or, right? Um, it's just kind of, it's just kind of understanding what's my best path as it relates to who I am. And there's a book out there that I highly recommend to everyone in the audience. Jeff's heard me talk about it many times, and you may have heard of it too, Kevin. It's called The Road Back to You. It's by a gentleman, actually it's two authors, uh, Ian Cron and Suzanne Seville. 
And the whole thing is wrapped around that pursuit of understanding to know who you are. Um, and I think that that's powerful. And I think you being able to reach kids, because unfortunately the, the schools aren't, they're not going down this road. They just, how they don't go down this road, I don't know, but they don't, at least not where I live. Uh, I don't want to speak for the entire United States, but um, the fact that you're wanting to catch them early um, is beautiful because I, I don't think I came to a conclusion about like, what's really a fit for me? What What's the work that requires me to show up? I mean, I, I had already been in the working career thing for what, 15 years, maybe 20. And, uh, I don't, I don't regret any of the, the learning and the income and all of that. But I mean, I'm not <laughs> like anyone else. If you told me I could have a do over, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> so, and, you know, I, um, I connect with what you're saying there when you say, you know, you don't regret anything, right? Uh, at the end of the day, because I was able to get this education at Pace University, shop at Pace University, and that got me an opportunity at Deloitte. Uh, yes, my early years uh, didn't feel fulfilling career-wise, but I learned so much, and I was able to achieve some financial needs that became very important for me for my other a more purposeful life goal, specifically with regard to building a family. And it yeah. was very important that I had that role because while I was working at Deloitte, um, my, my wife, um, uh, we had our first son, his name is Isaiah. Uh, I mentioned he's 10 years old. Isaiah, he was born uh, with chronic lung disease and cerebral palsy. Um, uh, so cerebral palsy for Isaiah, it shows as him not able to uh, have full control of his limbs, right, um, and moving his body and coordination, motor skills. And then with chronic lung disease, he actually has a trach now uh, through his um his neck that then connects to a vent that pushes air into his lungs so he can breathe. So he actually has mm -hmm. nursing assistance um, here at home with us. And had I not had the job um, at Deloitte, um, you know, I wouldn't be able to provide for Isaiah financially like he would, like he needed. And we spent yeah. two two years essentially living out of a hospital um, because he had constant mm -hmm. bouts of pneumonia and couldn't get well. Um, and somehow, some way I was able to still work uh, in the midst of all that. And even my wife, she's a, uh, uh, at that time a registered nurse and now a nurse practitioner and still practicing as a registered nurse at times. Uh, mm -hmm. We both were able to work. Um, such that we were able to purchase our first place. So when we finally were able to move out the hospital, Isaiah had a, a place to live, right? And we all moved out of that hospital uh, together. So when I talk about, you know, not feeling fulfilled career-wise with my choice 
um, you know, doing tax compliance early on. One, I learned a lot from the people I worked with. And two, I was able to provide for my family, which was the most important thing that I needed at that period in time. So I'm with you. Oh, no yeah. regrets. That's awesome. Everything happened yeah, for that reason. Wow. Wow. And that's awesome. I'm so glad you share that. And I think, you know, quite frankly, at the end of the day, even as I look at uh, what you just described, a very stormy, tumultuous time with someone you love so deeply. And it, it encourages me to remind our audience that it's not too late. If, if you're if you're out there listening today and you're thinking, should I maybe look at now? Yeah, don't look back with regret like, wow, it should have happened 10 years ago. No, start now. Take small yeah. steps right now <laughs> and, and begin right. and, and realize that, like you said, Kev, I mean, maybe it was a divine appointment for you to be at Deloitte for that period of time, for that length of time to be able to support and provide for. And, and I'm saying it like that because I don't know for sure because I can't. But man, it seems like when I connect the dots that you just described, I'm going, that makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yes, it does. So, wow. Yeah. What a powerful story. So, Kevin, um, you know, you've mentioned the things that you're doing. Um, and if I remember right, uh, you, you have some plans for a book or you're in process of writing a book. Is that, am I understanding that right? Yeah. You are, and it's uh, it's in the work. Um, I'll tell you something that I learned. <laughs> uh, you know, they say that uh, having accountability partners helps you to achieve goals, right? Because you share what you want to achieve with someone who then encourages you and checks in with you, and and you know, it sort of spurs you on. It's like a a nice little nudge for it. Hey, keep going. You know, if you fail, you stall. Um, yeah. For me, I don't know if that works like that. i tell you what I found has worked for me. I found mm -hmm. that when I have an idea that I'm passionate about and that I'm in the midst of, uh, it works for me to sort of keep it close to the vest until it's, just about time to reveal it. Uh, mm. It's been more productive uh, for me to tell you the truth. Uh, when I was broadcasting, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, watch out, this poem is coming, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Then something gets in the way, you feel an obligation, and people are like, hey, where is it? Blah, blah. And it interrupts the creative process. You mentioned something that's pretty powerful there about the creative process. And interrupting your 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 flow there, um, tell me a little bit about that for you and how you work. And then I want to come back to that self knowledge thing again. And I'll I'll surprise you maybe on why I'm going there. But tell me about that creative process for you. Yeah, so it's a little different uh, my creative process with regard to poetry, and then also with regard to. Um, you know, writing what may or may not be a book, <laughs> but mm, with, a, yeah. with a poetic process, I do not schedule time to write a poem. That just does not happen. All of my best poems have come in a random moment 
um, where a thought struck and I had the discipline to sit there and let it go where it wanted to go. Uh, so my poetic process is clear. I will not sit and say, I'm going to write two poems today. Hasn't happened like that. And it won't. And I'm happy doing it that way because I've seen what that process yields. Right. I've seen the result. Yeah. I've been very happy with the poem and they've been well received. So that's the poetic process. On the other end with the writing process, uh, this, has been more of a challenge for me, honestly, because the writing process is different. It takes discipline uh, to sit down uh, and carefully construct your thoughts to efficiently convey what you want to convey. Uh, because it's yeah. not always fun. At least for me, it's not. Uh, no, it's, it's not, not free wielding. <laughs> I can't just <laughs> right. I can't yeah. just let my thoughts go and end up where I want to end up. No, I have to actually figure out where I want to end up and then <laughs> oh, yeah. develop the idea to get there. So it's a whole different process. But with regards to uh, what I'm planning for chaos for inspiration, uh, I'll tell you the why. Um, a lot of what I've done to this point is go to these different educational institutions and I capture the youth audience with the spoken word poem and then with that, I can lay the groundwork to speak about things ranging from emotional intelligence to diversity and inclusion to career exploration um, to many different things, right? To leadership, whatever I'm called upon to this specific engagement. Uh, these typically have been one off functions. I'm invited to a school. Hey, please spend an hour or two speaking to the students, do your thing and then head out. Uh, and I had a number of conversations with uh, people who are in the field of education uh, and provided insight on how I could have an even greater impact on the students. And uh, the conclusion I was able to arrive at is uh, it can't be one-off, right? It can't be a, a quick presentation, uh, change somebody's life, and they're forever... Uh, changed, right? I have to somehow have a recurring interaction with the youth I'm hoping to serve. And so my thought was, let me develop this book, right, where I can do that. And as I write it, my creative process starts to take over and say, is this a book or is it something else? Is it a movie? I do not know. Um, is it a workshop? Perhaps. Who knows? I mean, I'll tell you, I, I have a sense of it, but I'm going to keep that pretty close <laughs> to the back. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate um, that. I appreciate that. <laughs> and you know, it's interesting when you mentioned that, 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 uh, the, the way that you, your creative process, um, and, uh, and about allowing it to form and, and being, I, I kind of consider it, um, Oh my gosh, there's a, there's a movie out, uh, it's about Vincent Van Gogh, uh, it's called At Eternity's Gate, which is, it's a great movie. William Defoe, William Defoe is, plays uh, Vincent Van Gogh. But there's a scene in that movie toward the end, uh, Kevin, where you see him doing this portrait of this doctor and he'll do his thing and then he gets up and he, and he steps back and, and it's like he, he views what he's done 
as if he's trying to determine what should be next. He doesn't know necessarily, but he, he's trying to get a sense of it, right? And mm-hmm. when I'm hearing you say that, man, that, that speaks a lot again to this idea about self-knowledge. You know, because there's all kinds of writing workshops and books on writing and, you know, people giving advice about writing. Says, well, this is what you should do. I'm just, I'm very inspired by the fact that you have a sense about what works best for Kevin. And that is powerful. Um, and I am one of these people, and Jeff and I have talked about this. I know he shares in this, this idea that if you are able to have a sense of it, you can apply that across the spectrum. You know, you don't have to be the same parent that your parents were. You don't have to be the same career and do it the same way that maybe somebody you went to school with does. Find your path. Uh, The world is made better when you find your path and you walk on that path. That's so much more powerful. Yeah. Um, I like that. Wow, and I'm like that. My hat, my hats off to you, man. As you're crafting and creating this, and uh, I, I certainly can't wait for our audience to be able to take a, a peek and a listen to that poem. And uh, as I mentioned earlier in the show, um, we will have all of Kevin's information in the show notes that will direct you to uh, his website, to the YouTube channel, to the poem. All of that will be there for you. And Kevin, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. And uh, as Jeff will concur, uh, this is an invitation that will have another invitation right behind it, because we'd like to have you back on the show as well. Yes, we would. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak with you both and reach your audience. And it's been a blast. Look forward to that uh, next invitation. All right. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in to the show today. And we look forward to uh, the next time we will be with you. Take care. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Pennington with The Spirit of EQ. I'm not introducing a new episode today. I'm here to tell you some things that might help you. Jeff, you're with me as always. So how do people get in touch with us? Well, the best way is just send us an email at info at spiritofeq.com. That's awesome. Jeff, I was also thinking about reviews, and I'm notoriously bad at asking for them. So reviews on all of the platforms, wherever you get your podcasts, you think that'd be good? I think that would be great because, one, that will help us learn how to make better ones. And it's always good for us. So we're, we're not the perfect podcast host. We're close. Okay, all but, right, but, but not, still, not totally. We want perfect. your feedback. We want your feedback. But it it also might uh, let us know a new subject. Hey, we need to dig deeper into that. Yeah. So let us know what you think. Cool. We really appreciate that. As always, too, there is social media: LinkedIn, Facebook, and we also have a YouTube channel. Those also have mechanisms or or options for you to be able to leave a comment, a like, or those kind of things. Just want to make sure that you know how to get in touch with us. Right, Jeff? Right. We appreciate you all. Thank you.
Hi, everyone. This is Eric Pennington with The Spirit of EQ. I'm not introducing a new episode today. I'm here to tell you some things that might help you. Jeff, you're with me as always. So how do people get in touch with us? Well, the best way is just send us an email at info at spiritofeq.com. That's awesome. Jeff, I was also thinking about reviews, and I'm notoriously bad at asking for them. So reviews on all of the platforms, wherever you get your podcasts, you think that'd be good? I think that would be great because, one, that will help us learn how to make better ones. And it's always good for us. So we're, we're not the perfect podcast host. We're close. Okay. All but, right. But, but not, still, not totally we want perfect. your feedback. We want your feedback. But it'll, it also might uh, let us know a new subject. Hey, we need to dig deeper into that. Yeah. So let us know what you think. Cool. We really appreciate that. As always, too, there is social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, and we also have a YouTube channel. Those also have mechanisms or, or options for you to be able to leave a comment, a like, or those kind of things. Just want to make sure that you know how to get in touch with us. Right, Jeff? Right. We appreciate you all. Thank you. Once again, we really appreciate you tuning in today. One of the things that Jeff and I want to bring to your attention as well is that when we created this podcast, it was not intended to take the place of a clinician. In other words, if you find yourself in a place where there's something deeper going on or something that you cannot solve on your own, we do recommend that you reach out to a clinician of some sort. This podcast is purely opinion-based, and it is rooted in the desire to help you along your path in whatever way we can. However, it is never going to replace, nor should it ever be looked at as a replacement for clinical help in any way. Thanks again for tuning in.